You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. I want, to, I want you to imagine for a second that somebody who has had no exposure at all or experience with Christianity were to walk into our gathering today. And they were to sit in that far back row that nobody is sitting there currently. They have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never been around a church. They've never been part of any tradition. Imagine they would come and join us and they walk through the service with us, right? And then they get to the end of the service, as we get to the end of service here in just a few moments. And they hear me say from the front, this bread represents Jesus' body. This juice represents Jesus' blood. Take and eat. Take and drink. How do you, how do you think somebody would respond if they heard that? Like, wh- maybe you have a, what do you guys think? Like, seriously, you can talk back to me. This is, this is okay. You're crazy. It's not vegan. Yeah. I mean, do you ever think about that? It's really weird. In fact, Jesus in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, he says those words, like, you need to feast on me. And it says many turned away. They couldn't take the teaching. It was too hard for them. But can you think about that? Some of the things we do as Christians, or even as you're just gathering with us and trying to explore Christianity, it's weird. We're saying that in a couple minutes here, this is Jesus' blood. Try explaining that to a six-year-old, right? I, I've had to do that a couple of times. And then this is Jesus' body. It's so weird. My goal today is really simple. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, and I just want to kind of unpack briefly, not perfectly and not exhaustively, but briefly, kind of what is the, the communion table? What is this Passover meal we're going to celebrate? Because Jesus actually gives us a vision for what it is, But if you're just coming from the streets in, or even if you've grown up in the church, maybe you have some different understandings of it, but it's a weird ritual that we do that maybe we need some some more handles on to understand. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 26. Mark 14, verses 12 through 26. As we look at these verses, I want to talk about how A new Passover has happened, a new family has been formed, and a new covenant has been made. A new Passover happened. We'll talk about what that means. A new family has been formed, and a new covenant has been made between God and his people. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26, says this. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. 
let's pause there just for a second. One interesting note, in this culture and in this time, it would be very uncommon for a man to be carrying a jar of water. So interestingly, Jesus is trying to give something that maybe would be unusual they would spot to help them along the way. Verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12, and while they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me, Jesus, right? It's one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Notice how close this person has to be sitting next to Jesus to be able to dip into the same bowl. He's sitting right near Jesus in a place of honor. Verse 21, the Son of Man will go, well, the Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is God's word. So I want to explore how this passage gives us a vision of communion, this table we're about to celebrate. That's where the sermon's heading, as it does each week. And it might be familiar to some of you, this story, or it might be unfamiliar, and that is okay. Maybe to give some handles onto what Jesus is trying to say to us here. But I think, like I said earlier, three things are happening. Jesus is giving us a vision of a new Passover, a new Exodus, a new family that's formed, and a new covenant that's made. So first, the new Passover, the Exodus. The very first couple of verses, verse 12 and 13, describes a festival that took place. Now, we don't celebrate a lot of festivals. I mean, some churches celebrate a fall festival in, in contrast to Halloween. I saw a lot of signs for that. We don't celebrate a lot of festivals. Uh, we celebrate some holidays. I was at uh, the Veterans Day Parade a couple of days ago in downtown Mesa. It was really cool. A bunch of people were coming to the parade, and helicopters were flying over. But a festival. Israel, though, was rooted around festivals. That's how they, God's people, oriented their sense of time, sometimes for weeks. Right here, it says specifically, it was the festival of unleavened bread. Let me just explain what that means, because I was unfamiliar with it as well, and I have two Bible degrees, so that might tell you something about the lack of my education. But festival of unleavened bread is a festival that followed the Passover day. Well, what's the Passover? The Passover was the feast to remember the very first Passover, which was when God came and liberated and delivered his people from Egypt. God sent a series of plagues, and Pharaoh's heart became harder and harder until he sent a final plague, a plague that would wipe out the firstborn of every Egyptian. Stuff for us to wrestle with, to be honest, in God's story. And God gave, through Moses, gave them the instructions, hey, the night before, after dark, you were to slaughter or kill a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, don't break even any of its bones. And take its blood and put it on the doorframe of your house. And the angel will, will not come to your house. It will not take your firstborn. So the Passover, they're, they're getting ready to flee Egypt. He's going to deliver them finally from the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. So they put the blood over the door. And then after the angel comes through, Pharaoh says, get out, leave. And the people flee on foot out of Egypt. 
And so the festival of unleavened bread was, in a sense, them preparing bread that doesn't have leaven in it. It means it doesn't rise. And so, hey, you don't have time for that. You have to make the bread in haste or in a, in a hurry. And so you have this bread so you're ready for the journey. It's typical in these festivals that they would eat standing up. Now, I eat standing up in general because I have anxiety, and Isaiah can attest to that. But they ate standing up to signify, like, hey, we're ready to move. Like, we're going to eat, and then we're going to move. If you've been in my MC meal, that I'm, I'm celebrating the festival and unleavened bread every week. That's just how biblical I am. Uh, so they would, they would eat standing up, and they would eat this bread that was not rising because they didn't have time for that. They needed just something that nourished them for the journey that was ahead. But for seven days, they would, they would remember this moment in history where God liberated his people. But interestingly with festivals, I'm try, I was trying to think all week of a modern example. But interesting with Israel's festivals, it was both remembering the past and longing for the future. Remembering the past, what God had done, and longing for the future. And so every year, as they would celebrate this festival, they would look back on how God had delivered them before as a people. But they had been under the rule of other empires, and they were in exile. And so they longed for the day when God in the future would deliver them again. A new Passover would come. So what is Jesus doing here? And what does this meal mean, even as we take it? Even though we use leaven and the bread that's presented here, we can talk about that and we figure out a way to make it a, a thin crust pizza bread, in other words. What it means is that what Jesus is saying is a new Passover is happening. A new exodus is taking place. Just as God had liberated his people in the past, now he's celebrating this festival, this feast. And he's going to use those words that this is my body, this is my blood. A new exodus is occurring. If you were a disciple and you're hearing these words from Jesus and you were sitting at this meal, you would have been, you would have been blown away. You would have been thinking about all the ways you had been longing for the coming kingdom, longing for God to deliver you, to be not under the slavery of another empire. And so you're hearing Jesus initiate this meal and you're hopeful. A new exodus is coming. But the twist of the story, just like in the story of the first Passover, is instead of coming triumphantly and destroying the Romans and coming as a military leader, Jesus becomes the Passover lamb. He becomes the lamb that now, through the blood, we are forgiven and brought in and delivered and then let out of our slavery, slavery to sin and death. So what Jesus is doing here is with this meal each week is he's reminding us that a new Passover, Passover has happened. A new exodus has taken place. Interestingly, we're going to start Advent in just a couple weeks, like I said earlier. If you read Exodus 12, which is where this story of the Passover comes from, it says, God tells through Moses, he says, hey, you're going to start your year now as the Passover being January 1st, in other words. That your whole sense of time as a people is going to restart. And every week when you come to take this meal, in a sense, you're getting a restart. You're being able to retell time based on what Jesus has done on your behalf, that everything you do comes from the table, not for it. Everything you do about who you are comes from your identity as God's people and what God has done on your behalf, not to earn it or to try to, to be something for it, to try to grab for it. Instead, you get to receive and then be sent out. Time is never the same in this new Passover meal. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing is that now, in light of there being a new Passover, a new exodus, God's going to form a new family. Here's what's interesting. You'll miss this detail. I did. 
But it's weird that Jesus is celebrating this feast with some random disciples that have been following him for two years. Like, this, this would be like um, on Christmas morning, instead of maybe opening presents with your family or celebrating your family, you like find some strangers or some friends to celebrate the holiday with and say, and leave your family behind. Like, that would, like that's, not, that's not good. That's not, what you wouldn't, that's not what you would do. But here, Jesus is inviting them to share the Passover meal together, which families would do. But now he's saying a new family is forming. Not by biological blood, but by the blood of the Lamb. I would love just to pause right here as we're working through this passage. Because the reality is we are a family. We've been brought together as brothers and sisters. This is why when Soma School students were here, and a dear brother uh, who is from Japan, that we can spend time together and have conversation even through language barrier and understand one another at a, such a deep level because we both follow the same Messiah, the same King. That like something about him and me spending time together or anyone else, even though everything about our lives is different, we share a common bond because we're part of the same family. We are brothers. Like, can you, I know that's maybe a familiar to you, but it's such a beautiful picture that even all the different cultural barriers and traditions and places, it cannot separate the reality that we are family. We're a new family because of what Christ has done. I'd love for you to do this. I'd love for you to turn to some people around you. Uh, and if you're new and just hanging out and you're like, I haven't experienced this, that's totally fine too. You can listen in. But I'd love for you to turn some people around you. How have you experienced being a family with somebody in this church over the past six months? It could be a really simple story, but how have you experienced being a family with someone in our church? And if you're like, hey, I'm just exploring, I'm checking this out, you can just listen in to somebody else talk. Or if you're like, hey, I don't really have a story that comes to mind, that's okay too. But I'd love to hear just from, from circle to circle, what's a small moment where there was a meal that was brought to you? whether it was sharing responsibility for raising a kid, whether it was sharing a meal together, whatever it is, how have you experienced family? Whether it was sharing resources for one another, like a family would. Turn to somebody around you and just share some stories about that as we are the new family of God. Now, you just got to share maybe a really cool story or a warm story about how you've experienced being a family. But here's also the truth from this story here in the Gospel of Mark, is being family also comes with the potential of being betrayed. Being family also comes with the potential for betrayal. Notice in the story, Judas, someone who had been following Jesus for three years, he betrays Jesus. He, he decides to, for a couple silver coins, hand Jesus over to the empire. It says in the story, he dipped, they dipped into the same um, cup. Uh, in the Gospel of John, I think it is, one of the other Gospels, it says that Jesus handed him the bread. Think about like the proximity even at the table that Judas has to Jesus. He's sitting right near him. Enough where Jesus can take the bread and hand it to him. Being part of a family comes with the, the reality of being betrayed. But here's the truth. If you're going to develop relationships and trust with other people, you have to open yourself up to the possibility of betrayal. 
You can't have trust and relate deep relationship without the potential of someone betraying you. That's the reality of being in a family and in a community. And all of us have experienced betrayal, both within the church and in our biological families. Much of the grief we carry is when we feel a sense of betrayal, that someone has wounded us that was our friend, that we trusted, that some way maybe used information against us or turned their back on us or left us or chose to go a different route that harmed us and hurt us. Betrayal is, happens all the time. And what we can respond is with callousness and cynicism and saying, you know what, I'm never going to be hurt again. I'm going to close off from the world because I've been betrayed too many times. But again, if you close yourself off, you can't be open to real deep relationship. It comes with the territory. I love how Jesus in the gospel here, even when he knows what Judas is about to do, he extends one last time to Judas, his very self. He gives him the bread. Like in that moment, he gave him one more chance. Judas, you can actually change directions here. You don't need to follow through with what you're about to do. How powerful is that? That our Lord and Savior, even to the very end, was trying to invite Judas back. Hey, you don't have to go that way. Uh, Rich Velotis, he has a quote I've used before, so you might be familiar with it. He says this, We are wounded in community, and we are healed in community. There's no way around it. Healing might not come from the same community where the wounding took place, but community is needed for healing nonetheless. We're wounded in community, but we're also healed, and we find belonging in community. So we are a new family. Betrayal is a reality that all of us will experience in some form or way, but maybe we can learn something from the model of Jesus, even as he is betrayed, he extends even one more time an invitation for change, an invitation to go a different route, an invitation for trust and relationship. Because he wanted to see Judas healed, even if Judas decided to go a different way. So we're a new, we've been given a new Passover, a new Exodus. We've been made into a new family, even with the reality that betrayal is a possibility. But then thirdly, a new covenant has been made. A new covenant has been made. So here's the custom of how it would work in a Passover meal. I told you about them standing up. The other thing that would happen is the father of the house, he would tell the story using the elements of the food at the table. So he would tell the Passover story. So he would get a piece of bread, and he would share how uh, when Israel was fleeing Egypt, they were to take unleavened bread with them for the journey because they were going to be on the road and they were going to be fleeing out of Egypt to the promised land eventually. So then somebody would hand a piece of bread, and he would tell that story. They'd hand him some wine, and they would tell the story of how this wine represents the blood of the lamb that was over the doors that God had freed and saved his people from. So they would just use the elements of the table, the food, to show something about the story of the Exodus. Notice what Jesus is doing here. They would have been really familiar since he's the head of the house or the he's the the hosts of the feast, he would, it would be normal for him to grab some food and begin talking, but he changes the words. Instead of saying, this bread represents the bread that was in the wilderness or the bread that helped us on the journey, he says, this bread is my body. Instead of the blood being, oh, that lamb that was sacrificed long ago, he says, this blood is the blood of the new covenant. Covenant is simply the deepest of agreements between God and his people. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm starting something new here. 
Indifferent like the covenants of old, where humans constantly failed at their part of the agreement, Jesus is saying, I'm starting something new where God will not fail and he will bring his people once and for all into communion and relationship with him. Interestingly, uh, Jesus maybe has these words in mind from Jeremiah 31 when he thinks about the new covenant that he's inaugurating with his blood. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Interestingly, in the past, God had spoken to his people, Live this way. Follow these commandments, and I will be faithful to you. Disobey, and I will leave. My, pre- my presence will come out from you. But now he's saying with this new covenant, it will be so ingrained deep in your very heart. Even think about the idea of the juice and the, and the bread, something that has to go inside of you. This covenant now is internalized, that now your hearts are going to be changed, that no longer you're going to have a hard heart that's callous towards God and enslaved to all sorts of sin, and brokenness from God. But now it's going to go inside of you and it's going to transform you. There's something mysterious about what happens every week when we come to this table, even though it's just a small foretaste, that as we're nourished on Jesus, our hearts are changed, transformed. It, that at the end of our lives, of coming to this table every week for decades, that we would be changed over time. Our hearts become more and more like Jesus because God has established a new covenant that he will not break. And that regardless how far you wander, he will call you back. He will bring you back. He will remember your wickedness and your sins no more. Here's what I want to do. This is an interesting, uh, interesting maybe way to get into this. But it, it's really fascinating to think how central food is to the story. Adam and Eve were given food to enjoy. They ate from the tree food. They rebelled against God, and then they were, all the way through the rest of the story, food was central to what they were doing. And so I just want to invite you, I'm going to get you in your groups again. I want to invite you to trace from the beginning of the story to the end how food is central. How is food telling the story that leads us then to this table? So get with that same groups. You can just have one person, or you can work together. But trace how food is central to what God's doing in history. Ready, set, go. You can use the symbols that are up on the screen if that's helpful, those six symbols. If you're unfamiliar with those, you can turn to somebody. I'm sure somebody around you knows what they mean. Food is central to what God's doing in history. That just as the serpent said in the garden, take and eat. And Eve saw the food was good to her eye and that it might be uh, good to taste and it will give her knowledge that she didn't have, she thought. In the same way the serpent says, take and eat, now Jesus reverses the curse and he says, hey, take and eat. 
Take and eat. Take my body. Take my blood. Be nourished by me to find real, true, whole life. I just want to lead us to the table here with saying a few things. And Curtis, sorry, Jordan and Chris are going to be serving us today. And worship squad, you guys can come to the front as well if you'd like. Three things to remember as we come to the table today that Jesus teaches us. That this is a moment to remember the past of what God has done, the present of what he's currently doing, and the future of what he will do one day. That this meal we taste is simply a foretaste. It's not a full meal because we long for the day when it will be a full meal, the feast that is to come when Jesus returns. So we just get a little taste of it this afternoon. The second thing is this. When you come to this table, you're coming with brothers and sisters as a family. Something about sharing a meal in the ancient world, and not as much anymore, but ancient world meant that you were family, that you were connected. And we're going to do that in just a second. The people that you walk by, the people that you're sitting with, these are brothers and sisters that now this meal unites us together. And then thirdly is this. It's the mark of a new covenant that's been made. Not your blood or the biological blood of the family you've been born into, but by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And like that passage said in Jeremiah, that you would be forg offered forgiveness. God would remember your sins no more. We have a tradition, often a lot of us come from traditions where we come to the table very sober and uh, making sure we recognize all of our sin. That can be really good. But what if you came today joyous because God remembers your sin no more? So put it down. You're coming to this table to get yourself a taste of the forgiveness that's already been given to you. The reconciliation that's been offered to you. The new life that has been extended to you to be part of this family. So don't come somber, but come with joy. Just as the kids will come up here in just a second. Would you stand with me? We're going to read these words from the Apostle Paul. They're going to sound familiar because they're Jesus' words from this passage. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now we're going to recite together the mystery of our faith. Notice how it's past, present, and future. That in the past, Christ has died. But in the present, Christ is risen. And in the future, he will come again. This meal is a taste of three meals, both in the past and God created the world, at the cross and resurrection, and in the meal that is to come when Jesus returns. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive from the King.